You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everyone, to RB1 Colon of Fantasy Football Podcast, part of the Fake Teams Podcast channel. I am the consummate professional, first-ranking officer of the Terry McLaurin Stand Club, Grand Marshal of the Alvin Kamara Apology Parade, and BFFs with the Oracle, your humble host, Pete Rogers. And I am joined by some of the guys. We have Scotty Miller Fanboy, Mule Skinner of the Zach Ertz Decline Wagon, King Lizard of the Alan Lazard Hype Terrarium, uh, Coach Whisperer, the Wine Sipperer, the Will Dislier, Working Girl Jordan Smith, and Sub-Lieutenant of the SS Deshaun Jackson, Loather of Adam Gase, Doubter of John Gruden's Jacob's Handle Shtick, and thinks your favorite team is run by donkeys, uh, Ginger Clean Shaven Man, Nick Butterford. Guys, how are we doing today? Doing good. Good, Pete. How are you? I am doing well. Doing well. The uh, took me a couple times to practice the John Gruden's Jacobs Handle shtick to get the uh, to get the cadence right because you know it's a, it's a Josh Jacobs Jingleheimer Schmidt kind of kind of play, uh, and I wanted to invoke that while also still cl- clearly articulating uh, what it is that the message conveys. So, what's the message? The message is that Nick does not believe in John Gruden's belief in Josh Jacobs's ability to catch the football reliably. Okay, cool. Just wanted you to explain it in, in great detail. <laughs> yeah, I think I got it. Really, di- really diving in there. Uh, again, I feel like this happened a long time ago in the show, but I just want to give kudos to Nick for bravely doing this podcast while seemingly staring into a sun that is <laughs> right outside yeah first time doing the show at the uh new desk and i think that <laughs> rearrangement might have to take place <laughs> i uh i've been trying to figure out if it'd be inappropriate for me to put on sunglasses we'll see <laughs> we will make sure since this is a, a audio medium we'll make sure to let our listeners know if Nick decides to just roll up in shades halfway through the show. All right. Well, we got news to get to. Um, we're going to give our week, week four waiver wire picks um, and then talk about some players. You know, it's, it's always, uh, you always want to be adding players. You know, you always want to be attacking your waiver wire, but often in order to add those players, you got to drop some players. And so three weeks into the NFL season, we're going to talk about some players who uh, you should probably, it's worth moving on from, or you confidently can can move on from. Uh, but before we get into all of that, let's hit the news. All right, top of the news, uh, Chris Carson, running back for the Seattle Seahawks, is out one to two weeks, it seems, with a kind of sprained knee. He got rolled up on uh, in the Seahawks game against the Cowboys. Uh, since he's going to miss time, go get Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde, we have talked about on this show plenty of times. Thousand yard rusher last year, 
as shocking as that might be to uh, to hear, uh, it certainly is always a surprise to me when it's uttered. But yes, he was a thousand yard rusher for the Texans last year, so he's going to come in, get the clear clear workload there. Uh, and yes, Russell Wilson is cooking, and he will continue to cook. But this backfield is still has a reliable role enough, and this offense is still explosive enough that uh, for Chris Carson being out, if you don't, if you are are lacking, you know. Carlos Hyde will be will fill in for him. That's right. Yeah, Hyde's the guy. I think that uh, once we get confirmation, do you, do you know uh, exactly how many weeks it'll be? I th- everything I've seen has just been uh, on the a rough estimate of one to two, and it's been mostly yeah. It, it it's just the fact that like this has been in the past. It's a first degree knee sprain, which is considered a one to two week injury according to Adam Schefter. So okay, yeah. So. Their next couple games, I think they'll hold them out till week seven because it's it's Miami, Minnesota, and then it's the bye. And oh, yeah. so sprain, it's probably an, an MCL, which is like fine. I mean, it sucks because it's a knee sprain, but it's, it'll be fine. But in, in the meantime, they might blow those teams out. And if that's the case, Travis Homer could have some value uh, as like a garbage time clock killer. But I do agree that Carlos Hyde needs to be prioritized. I think Carlos Hyde is like, a Frank Gore light is that he'll just keep on popping up in our lives periodically for no other reason than coaches just love him. I feel like he's kind of taken that torch from him because it seems like even Adam Gase, this Adam Gase is so skilled at, at diminishing players abilities to produce that even Frank Gore, who, who has been fantasy productive for the last 50 years is having trouble being a, a viable fantasy player despite being the only you know healthy running back in uh in new york so adam gase don't don't question adam gase's ability to diminish someone's fantasy value moving on in the news uh a running back to go down for the whole year Tariq cohen tore his acl uh against the atlanta falcons um and so he will be out for the year uh this i would assume means more david montgomery in the passing game we saw that a little bit we did see a touch more uh, Corderell Patterson lining up in the backfield. He had, I think, four carries for 13 yards. So that's something to monitor. I, I guess if you want to buy into this, you know, Bears offense, and, and we'll lump in the next news bulletin uh, because they're connected. It's Nick Foles time, you guys. Nick Foles came in for Mitchell Trubisky, led the Bears to an epic comeback against the uh, the Atlanta Falcons, which at this point, Let's take a moment to just, it's not even appreciate. It's just like Atlanta. What are we doing here? How, how do you, how in back-to-back weeks are you leading by double digits and you blow both games? And how is it that Dan Quinn still has a job? I'm just, yeah, maybe a discussion for a different podcast, but maybe it's, you know, just, uh, seems like you should be fired. Anywho's. Uh, so now Nick Foles is leading the Chicago bears. He has been the confirmed starter for week four. Uh, uh, Jordan, are you? Does this spark more interest in the Bears' offense for you, or are you still pretty much like nah, it's Allen Robinson or bust? Um, I like that Anthony Miller was getting some, or and has been getting some more attention um, this season, as you rightfully should. Cause he had a pretty good stretch at the end of last season. I'm not particularly sure that losing Tariq Cohen moves the needle that much in terms of what he does for the offense. I think. Corderell Patterson being a, a gadget guy can be that person that causes um, 
confusion, like pre-snap confusion in terms of motion and um, even just direct snapping the ball to Cordero Patterson. I've I just never been big on Tariq Cohen as like a viable fantasy starter. Uh, as far as Nick Foles goes, I like him better than Mitch Trubisky. I think Trubisky only won the starting job because of his familiarity with Chicago in the playbook. I think he just won it through purely being the incumbent. And um, yeah, I like Nick Foles a little bit better um, as a fantasy option, but I'm not sure I'm starting him. No, but but are you not thrilled that your cornhole partner, Jimmy Graham, is now resurrected to becoming uh, yeah, a tight end one in fantasy? 10 targets, six catches, 60 yards, and two touchdowns? I mean, are we back to to peak 2009 Jimmy Graham? I don't even know if well, 2009 he was in the league. I Jimmy wanted to go to Chicago because apparently he said all they care about is winning and championships there. Hell like, yeah. They have a very long <laughs> record of that. Um, I don't, it's, it is kind of goofy. Every time Jimmy Graham catches a touchdown, though, I'm kind of disappointed. I'm just like, God damn it. Why is he catching this touchdown right now? But um, yeah, he's definitely getting the targets. I'm kind of waiting for the the burst to kind of fall off. If there's anybody that's going to drop off a, a cliff in terms of pass catching, it's going to be him. Uh, the Bears are they're such an interesting group. But to, so to answer the the first question, Pete, yeah, definitely. Foles being here makes me feel better about everybody because just it takes them from a shitty offense to a competent one, and competent offenses put their players in scoring position more. So like that's awesome, and I think that if anybody had shares of Allen Robinson, you now no longer just kind that of that shit this, went like, through the roof. Yeah, uh, you know it like early Sunday morning you're sitting there like, God, do I really want to trust Robinson just because of Trubisky that's, that's over with now. As far as the other dudes go, I think uh, we're, we're in lockstep there, Jordan, with Tariq Cohen. I, I don't think he's very good at football, and now I think he's really not going to be good at football. Um, as far as the receivers go, or the pass catchers, the Graham and Anthony Miller conversation is really interesting because Miller has lost playing time to Darnell Mooney. We touched on him the other day. He's their other perimeter receiver, and Miller's basically – I mean, Robinson gets in the slot a lot too, but Miller's like kind of their supposed slot guy. I will be interested to see whether or not Graham – what like because I, I think it's kind of like a, a battle between Jimmy Graham and Anthony Miller for who's going to be – who's going to be that like primary slot weapon. Um, and I, I'm so – they made it work last week, so maybe it won't be a problem. Maybe Mooney gets uh, pushed out of there. But I think I think – something interesting will happen there. Um, and Hey, I, I don't know what to think of the Cordova Patterson situation, but if this means more targets for David Montgomery, then everybody feels, I think a little bit better about their perhaps initially wasted mid round pick. Yeah. I feel like if Tariq Cohen didn't go down with an injury, uh, David Montgomery had a real chance of ending up as a person we were going to talk about later in this podcast. But since he could be walking into a larger work share of a passing game, that's certainly encouraging. And you hope to see it. You hope that that's something that he is in, now involved in. And Cordero Patterson, I don't think is worth adding at this moment. I think he's monitored, worth monitoring, and especially in super deep leagues. Like, you know, if he's if he's going to see five to six touches a week consistently, like, you know, you, then then he's a he's a guy who you can play via matchups where 
sometimes, you know, he might be more involved and he might not be. But if, if he's getting a reliable, like, five to six touches a game, that's, you know, if he's doing something with them, that's that's enough to to have some sort of fantasy uh, fantasy relevance. To your point, Nick, though, about Allen Robinson, uh, 13 targets, 10 catches, 123 yards, and a touchdown. Why 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 do we even waste two weeks of Mitchell Trubisky, you guys? Why even is Nick Foles there? Why is there not Cam Newton? That being said, I mean, Patriots fan it would be heartbroken. I mean, if, God damn it, if we had Nick Foles, yikes. Anyways. That team will turn around when they get rid of Ryan Pace. He is a fucking terrible GM, and it's his ego is the reason that Cam Newton is not their starting quarterback. You're to hear first. Uh, Ryan, have your people talk to our people. We'll get you on the show. You can uh, you can respond to Nick's face. Uh, the Jimmy Graham conversation is something to monitor, especially if you were relying on Dallas Goddard. Uh, that is a fucking amazing transition by yours truly, who's out some time with an ankle uh, an ankle injury. I have not found an actual timeline. I don't know if either of you guys have more details on what the actual timeline is. It just I've always seen we'll miss quote some time. Uh, which is never encouraging because that often means that they're still diagnosing what exactly the injury is. This will likely mean, well, it it means a bigger workload for Zach Ertz in that passing game. Greg Ward finally came on uh, after showing flashes last year uh, this week. But I mean, this is, this is, I feel like we need to talk about Carson Wentz because Carson Wentz has looked really bad to start this year. And I know we're going to talk about the Eagles offense later on this show, a uh, little hint, hint there, but good Lord, Carson Wentz, it's, it's starting to, it's now getting to the point where I feel like if he puts together like another two, three bad games, yes, the NFC East is just shit. But if he puts together another like two, three bad games where he throws multiple picks, doesn't get the offense moving. They spent a second round pick on Jalen Hurd. Like, are we going to see Jalen Hurd before week eight? I think that I almost put Carson Wentz in the ad drops that we're talking about later under drops because I'm just watching him against um, a, a team like the Cincinnati Bengals who just aren't very good uh, defensively. And if it's one team, I mean, you might want to look at the Jets or um, like the Panthers or another one of those defense that you want to see your quarterback just kind of tear up to the tune of like 400 yards and through passing touchdowns. That's the, that's one of the teams that you'd want to see it, but he just didn't do that. He did salvage his day by um, being pretty productive on the ground. Um, but with Carson Wentz's injury history and like not getting down, it's you're kind of holding your breath when he runs, unlike uh, some of the other quarterbacks um that can really move the sticks with their legs so i don't know if we'll see jalen hurts um but carson Wentz definitely has some things to sort through yeah it's it's really it's worrisome that this is i mean he got it done for you in fantasy but this was the Bengals. like this was kind of the if clark were here he would say his you know his line about the Bengals. like if, if he can't get it done against the Bengals, then something is 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 wrong his next three games they're so tough that I think that it might actually give them more time, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, and Baltimore. Uh, after that, it's New York Giants and Dallas. And I think that I think that the, the staff would give them at least through um, the divisional games to kind of, you know, let him try to earn it or keep his job. 
I think a lot of this comes from the coaching staff. I mean, they, they didn't adjust their, their game plan in week one for their three missing offensive linemen and Washington's crazy defensive line. And he got beat up for it. And so I can see how this, you know, it took Brady a while to stop seeing ghosts as, as they say, after the, the ACL tear, uh, Andrew Luck, you know, he wasn't enjoying himself getting hit all the time. I, you know, I don't think we should underestimate the psychological hit that week one might've laid into Wentz. Hopefully he can turn it around. We know what kind of a quarterback he is. He's a very good one. He's one who's competed for an MVP title. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that he'll be able to turn this around, but it might take some time. Uh, and because of that, yeah, we're going to end up talking about this team in the next section. One thing uh, that um, oh, kept ahead, me optimistic, and I forgot to mention it, but you mentioned the schedule. The upcoming like next three games look pretty rough for Philadelphia as a whole, but he does get a couple of games against Washington and the Giants. Like Washington just – they're getting decimated on defense and they love giving the ball back to the opposing team, and uh, the Giants aren't very good either. But it's still – yeah, I guess that would be reason for optimism is he still gets a ton of games against those teams. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Carson Wentz. I wouldn't be surprised if next season we see Carson Wentz in a different uniform, and that's where the reclamation project begins. I just feel like his time in Philly is over. I feel like it's been too checkered with them winning a Super Bowl with Nick Foles and him been up, being unable to stay healthy, and them drafting Jalen Hurd in the in the second round. Like I just, I don't know. I feel like Carson Wentz needs needs a new a new lo, a vocal to. To be in. Don't underestimate how much time a coach and an organization give like each other after winning the Super Bowl. They could be there for another like five to six years <laughs> coasting on that. Oh, Super are you Bowl. are we are we talking about Mike McCarthy or is this a little <laughs> I'm talking about Sean Payton actually? <laughs> <laughs> no, I joke, yeah. I joke. I am talking about McCarthy. <laughs> I think uh I, I would be pretty surprised to see him uh be jettisoned I, I'm, I'm just taking a look at yeah i mean he signed through 2024 i and the cap hits are uh are huge he what the hell they would lose 59 million dollars if they cut him so you're yeah, saying my idea is not a not a good one my, my bold so, prediction yeah so i'm taking out. both of you guys down so yeah that's <laughs> not gonna happen and then two they actually don't get to play washington again until week 17 so uh, that sucks so that's really carson wentz is not doing many favors for you also doug peterson run the goddamn football more why is miles sanders getting like 12 touches a game i am an annoyed miles sanders owner okay that's the news. Otherwise, we're going to spend the whole podcast ranting and raving about the Philadelphia Eagles and how they have let us down on every tangible level. Uh, let's get into a couple waiver ads. Um, so if you are dealing with running back injuries, Chris Carson, Tariq Cohen, other people who are injured out there, Nick, you have a running back that people can get on waivers, even if their running backs are picked pretty thin, even if the waiver wires pick pretty thin for them. Yeah, so we can we can go a couple of different directions with this one. I, I don't need to victory lap too hard with Jeff Wilson Jr., but um, hopefully listeners listened and added him last week. 
some of his work came once McKinnon was out, but some of it didn't. And now that McKinnon has suffered a rib injury, we know Tevin Coleman's gone for a while. We don't quite know what the deal is with Raheem Mostert. Wilson showed really well uh, through both phases of the game. And even if he isn't that good of a running back, he looks like he's Kyle Shanahan's number one back right now. And this week, I am spacing on who it is they're going to be lining up against. It's uh, Eagles. It is, yeah, yeah. Okay, Eagles. So um, I, I think I would classify that as an unimposing matchup. Uh, if he's in there any longer, then he gets uh, a shot at Miami the following week. So anytime you can get your hands on, you know, the, the Niners starting running back, that's a really good get. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good chance to um, grab him, especially it, it just seems like he's the number one and only back in San Francisco now. They, like they're dropping like flies. And uh, at least until Rohim Mostart, I mean, maybe there will be a reevaluation once he comes back or maybe Kyle Shanahan just does what he kind of does and rides the hot hand, um, which is what he did with Mostert last year. So, um, yeah, it's I mean, you got to take it while you can add him and then if you're not going to start him, at least keep him away from other people who might need him more. That's what I always do. Uh-uh. Jordan's such a dick. <laughs> hey, I'm in it to win, okay? <laughs> no, I mean, if you take all of the excitement you had about Raheem Mostert and just pass it on to Jeff Wilson, like Kyle Shanahan's running game, I trust to basically work if you put anyone back there. Like I, uh, 50-year-old Frank Gore would still get like 75 yards in a touch every game i bet you if he played for kyle shanahan uh week three had a whole bunch of wide receivers breakout and the guy for me who most notably you need to go get onto your team asap uh is the minnesota vikings rookie justin jefferson we've talked about him on this show before it's amazing and I, nick i know i i saw you like the, like someone who tweeted this and i just think it's hilarious it's amazing when the best wide receiver in college comes into the nfl and guess what is really good and it translates <laughs> shocking shocking I, when that. that that was really stupid there was some <laughs> scout for the action network who was like had him as a first round grade <laughs> oh like, good for you fucking really good for you we all yeah. know justin jefferson set like every goddamn receiving record at lsu so good for you for having a first round grade on the best wide receiver uh in in college football anyways he broke out big way seven caught seven of his nine targets 175 yards and a touchdown The bigger thing is that we've talked a lot about this Viking secondary and how this defense is not what it used to be, which means that the game script is more or less always going to be shootout. Kirk Cousins is going to have to throw the football around. It looks like Jefferson has emerged now that he is fully healthy. I know he was dealing with, uh, he was on the COVID list during training camp. um, And so he was a little bit behind, uh, but now he seems caught up. Seems like the number two guy along Adam Thielen. But tell me, you guys, tell me if this... These next three games don't get you hot and bothered. The Minnesota Vikings take on the Texans and then the Seahawks and then the Falcons. I mean, what more could you want from a passing game? All of those guys are giving up points to wide receivers like it's candy and Christmas and Halloween are coming because you also get candy on Christmas, I've heard. Anywho's Justin Jefferson, he, I had last time I checked, he was like 27% rostered in Yahoo. This is, the, this is your chance to get him. Like if you don't roster him now, he will be rostered in your league. Yeah, I also had a first-round grade on Joe Burrow and, like, Kyler Murray the year before. Um, not to do my own horn, uh, but I'm looking at Ola B.C. Johnson right now. He looks like he's falling down to the number four spot 
for the Vikings and Chad Beebe had 22 snaps um, as the third wide receiver on Sunday. But I don't think you are very threatened, especially in this Vikings offense on the number three wide receiver is mostly the, the top two guys. Um, I don't think Herb Smith Jr. has really emerged as uh, a potential breakout uh, that could still happen. He's only a second year uh, tight end, so it might take him until the third year, which sometimes it does for tight ends. But Zach, uh, Kyle Rudolph is still out there snagging touchdown passes. Uh, but there's Clark, definitely Clark is still, sitting at home grinning from ear to ear right now. He's just still nodding. I, I picture him in an armchair just nodding <laughs> at, at Kyle Rudolph replays. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, Justin Jefferson is going to get a lot of targets his, his way. He's a good and fast receiver who played in the slot in college, but has proved he can play on the outside in the NFL. So, yeah, I would add him. Uh, it was nice to see that he was able to to find success from the outside, too. Wasn't just reliant on lining up in the slot. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't have anything else to add. You guys got it. Jordan, you have a wide receiver though who people should be adding who has this who does have that down elite downhill speed and and flashed it this weekend. Yeah, this is a guy who I think might be a little bit more of a flyer, but over the next couple of weeks or so might prove to be a pretty good spot start. Um, it's Andy Isabella for the Cardinals. Uh, Christian Kirk is out with an injury. Um, so I think that a lot of the targets that well, not really going that way to uh, Christian Kirk anyway, uh, but you could see Andy Isabella getting a little bit more uh, looks. They All the targets in the passing game is basically going to DeAndre Hopkins, which you love to see, but maybe Isabella being a, a stretcher who can finally see the field a little bit more might get him more opportunities. Um, like you said, Pete, he's a great deep threat. Um, he's a guy who can get down the field, but uh, Arizona was definitely using him in a few more ways um, in short distance situations, especially on his two touchdowns on Sunday against the Lions. Um, and he's only owned in 0.7% of ESPN leagues. So he's definitely there floating around. Um, you know, if you, if you don't hit on some of the other bigger breakout uh, guys from the waiver wire this week, I definitely scroll down a little bit and find Andy Isabella and just stash him, see what happens. Yeah, he's always been a guy who flashed a lot of big potential. Uh, we we really like the schedule they've got coming up: Carolina, Jets, uh, Dallas, and Seattle. Uh, they get a bye, but it's pretty much just as glorious after that. Um, the nice thing about this Cardinals team is that they're sort of matchup proof, uh, and what I mean by that is they're they don't really get game scripted. The Kingsbury's running the high pace offense that he wants to now. I don't I haven't looked at the numbers this week, but I'm sure they're still either leading the league in total snaps uh, or snaps per game or are uh, or, or, or close up there. They're going to continue to throw aggressively, really, no matter what is going on. And that makes uh, the deep threat worth just having on your team in, in a way that is perhaps different than a lot of the league's deep threats, which uh, who, we, who we might try to start when we know their team is going to be losing. Uh, so yeah, I, I like this a lot. Uh, Adam Levitan is a huge Isabella guy, and his I know his his uh, Twitter uh, thread has some uh, his, his timeline that is has some fun stuff on Isabella, just like what he's been able to do on his limited touches. It was a little ridiculous that it took him so long, either to break out or, or earn the reps or for Kingsbury to notice him, but he, he he got his this week, and that was fun to watch. 
Remember when we were all worried that uh, DeAndre Hopkins wasn't going to translate super well to Arizona, and instead he's just been 35% of their, <laughs> their target share? They're, they're here's like here's how you get a wide receiver to, to get to fit and mesh with your offense. Just throw him the football every single opportunity you have. It's crazy. Honestly, Not even on standard routes that you would expect. They're like just tossing him the ball on like bubble screens and just giving it to him on end arounds and stuff. Uh, I'm taking a look right now. I haven't checked to see if next gen stats has updated, but uh, as of last week, his average intended air yards was like five. Yeah. I have it uh, <laughs> here. His a dot is 5.4. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's one of and the, yet he's like, leading the league in receiving yards. Yeah. Um, makes you, makes you think, wonder, makes you wonder why Odell Beckham has yet to thrive in Cleveland. Well, yeah, and that's it. I, I think Kingsbury's kind of solved the problem of like, oh, he's going to have a difficult time uh, adjusting. Let's not just slowly bring him along. Let's just obliterate him with targets, and then he's like, <laughs> he's going to figure it out. Like, I mean, it it, it makes insane. sense, right? Like, yeah. why wait for Odell to like slowly figure just fucking launch it to him which i mean they kind of did he you know like six in the league in air yards or whatever last year but anywho yeah they uh didn't waste any time yeah good for them good for them cliff you're doing great cliff you're doing great all right uh we're going to talk about some players who we feel like it's safe to move on from uh in fantasy but before we do that we're gonna take a quick ad break Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. All right, we are back three weeks into the fantasy football season. Obviously, we are recording this whilst uh, Monday Night Football is being played. So technically, yes, if you want to call BS on our shenanigans, there's one game left in week three while we're saying this. But uh, while you're listening to this, week three is completed. And that's a good enough time. I think that's a good portion to be able to look over your roster and see where players who maybe you drafted as flyers and they're not clicking, it's okay to move on from those guys. And so we've got a couple guys on our list who we think that it's safe to move on from, whether or not that is a straight release, or if it's a guy who maybe you should start kind of shopping trade offers out there for uh, and try to get off your team. So uh, Jordan, why don't you start us off with a player who you feel pretty comfortable in moving on from uh, this right now in fantasy? Yeah, this isn't uh, necessarily a, a comfort level thing. This is just me kind of admitting defeat here because I thought maybe we'd get a little bit more juice out of this guy. Um, it was Jordan Howard uh, down in Miami. I thought maybe he would be able to grab onto the starting job. And just based on how efficient he was, um, just by 
DVOA and DYAR last year in Philly that I thought maybe he had a chance to at least produce something, but it seems like they are pretty intent on using him as a goal line back and a short yardage back. So he's not going to give you anything, maybe 10 points if he gets into the end zone, but he's just a, they've relegated him to a fall forward type of guy for a couple of yards and he's still 49.7% owned in um, ESPN league. So uh, half of you out there, just it's time to sever ties and he's not, it doesn't seem like he's bouncing back because I, I mean, as fun as it is to have Jaguars and Dolphins on TV uh, more frequently playing each other, it was genuinely fun to watch the running back matchup and see James Robinson and Miles um, Gaskin for the Dolphins out there eating them. Uh, Miles Gaskin is only 45.8% owned. So the half of you that still have Jordan, just drop him and pick up Gaskin in case uh, that other half has not picked him up. Yeah, I'll, I'll save most of what I have to say on uh, on Howard for a little bit later, but I, I can't help but point out that his his half-point PBR totals through three games are 6.7, 6.4, and 6.1. And his highest yardage total Assistancy. is – Yeah, right? His highest yardage total is uh, seven. So if you're wondering how he's getting <laughs> points <laughs> – on seven carries, right? <laughs> right. He's exactly. he has it's like 0.8 yards per carry and three touchdowns. It's a stat. Yeah, that's a stat line to idolize. Right. Yeah. He's he's uh, somehow besting Brandon Jacobs. Right. Anyway, <laughs> take it away, Pete. Yeah, I'll segue right into one of my guys who I think you should drop, and that's Matt Breida. We spent a lot of time this offseason talking about the potential for this Dolphins backfield as like, who do you take, Jordan Howard or Matt Breida? Well, the answer is neither of them. The answer was Miles Gaskin, which we all should have seen, right? Uh, Brita's 15 carries, 63 yards through three games, which is obviously would have been a nice stat line if it was a game. But uh, since we're talking about three, not as great. Miles Gaskin is clearly the number one RB there. Jordan Howard has has 16 carries uh, to Brita's 13, uh, 15. Ryan Fitzpatrick has 15 carries. It's just at no point in the season has he seen over 23% of the snaps uh, and he's getting no work in the passing game, which is kind of where we thought he could build a role. Um, so I just think that I think it's, it's more, you're more than time to, to drop both Matt Breida and Jordan Howard. Matt Breida is 35% rostered in Yahoo and 42% uh, on ESPN. Uh, I think so. So he is, if, for those who are out there, drop him and, and go get, go get Jeff Wilson. So uh, a, a victory lap and a mea culpa. Uh, I, I think I spent a few days thinking, man, Brita, he could like, yeah, he could totally be the pass catching back. And then remembered that he's never been a pass catching back. He's been a like 1995 uh, scat back who <laughs> just rushed only. Um, so yeah, there was no reason to touch this backfield until Miles Gaskin of University of Washington fame, who I, I guess have to apologize for watching him with all of my friends for like years uh, and just discounting what he could do in the NFL. Um, I thought it was really bizarre at the end of either week one or week two, where Chan Gailey, the Dolphins offensive coordinator chose to label Gaskins as just their spread offense guy, but he played six, uh, 63% of snaps week two is 65 last week, 75 like, well, you run a spread offense. So what, why, why are you trying to tell us that he's not your full-time starting running? Anyway, 
Um, I, I, there's, there's no reason to question what uh, Gaskin's workloads will be. He's going to rock it between the 20s. He's going to rack up a lot of catches and he will probably get vultured uh, in the end zone. So he's going to have a, a capped ceiling as perhaps like never really going reliably past like, you know, RB 20 or something like that. But I think his floor at worst is just a like low double digit flex option. Just and it, assuming you're in a points perception league is, I mean, his, his totals so far this year uh, are, are really, really nice. And anyway, I won't go reading through them, but yeah, he, he's a very good pass catcher. What about you, Nick? Who's a guy you're looking to drop? Um, so it's Deshaun Jackson. So I guess we'll have to change my, the, uh, uh, <laughs> the S is Deshaun Jackson has sunk. Yeah. I'm hopping onto the, the lifeboat here. So again, the coaching staff did a terrible job in week one. It was completely inexcusable. He, he's, he, then he, you know, he got a terrific workload of week two, nine friggin' targets last week suffered a hamstring injury. So we don't know. I mean, hamstrings are, the, the most like irritating injury for a fantasy manager. Um, so he, he, we don't know how long he's going to come back or how long it'll be that, that he's going to be out. It's something that gets re-injured all the time. And as we talked about in the Eagles section earlier, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, we're not, th- there's no time in these next three weeks where even if he is like, you know, practicing, he'll, he'll get in like a limited participation on the last day of practice because of his hamstring and then it'll be a game time decision. And even if he was fully healthy, these defenses will be giving you pause. So cut bait, get over it. I'm going to cry, but yeah, drop to Sean Jackson. I'll only take a slight, uh, slight shuffle victory lap on Deshaun Jackson. Cause I wasn't really in on him at the beginning of the season, but it, it's not necessarily Deshaun Jackson's fault at this point. I feel like a lot of people um, from Zach Ertz, uh, to poor Miles Sanders, who's literally Ugh. just doing his best with his limited opportunities. Like the Ugh. whole Eagles offense right now is just kind of sputtering and spinning their wheels. So, yeah, it's it's tough to know what you're going to get out of them week in and week out. Yeah, Deshaun Jackson has has let me down on multiple DFS lines on multiple weeks, and I am more than happy with Nick's decision too. Punch a hole in the SS Deshaun and salute as he goes, jumps off the ship and watches it goes down. Jordan, uh, who's another guy that you're feeling confident and or comfortable, comfortable in dropping right now? Um, another guy I'm probably feeling pretty comfortable with dropping is uh, Philip Rivers. Um, he's losing another weapon in Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, he's Michael Pittman Jr. has is have had leg surgery or something. He yeah, had it was, it was a really weirdly phrased thing too. Let me see what it's, it was, it was compartment leg syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think this was what Adam Shaheen had in Chicago a couple of years ago where like you can lose the leg if it's not operated on. Uh. It, it, maybe I'm, maybe I'm totally misunderstanding, but yeah, I think it's, it's something that can be very serious, but if treated, you're okay. You can be okay. I hope he uh, pulls through. Um, in the meantime, with Philip Rivers's value, he's lost Paris Campbell, um, who will be out for probably a couple more weeks. Uh, the T.Y. Hilton connection, it looked fine 
the other day, but it's, uh, it's against the Jets. And um, <laughs> Philip Rivers still didn't exactly light it up um, on offense against the lowly Jets. So I'm not very sure that anybody is worth having on the Colts at this current uh, juncture other than Mo Cox. Um, I'm still waiting for them to put it together. But Philip Rivers is in that uh, that zone. If you didn't pick up, you know, any of the top five QBs, then you're probably just flipping guys in and out based on matchup. And I'm not picking up Philip Rivers or streaming him anywhere. I would just I would just leave him and try to find a better option with more upside. Yeah, there's a, there are a few running uh, quarterbacks out there who I think are still available who you can you can stream better uh, than Rivers. So I would certainly I would certainly support the the replacing of Philip Rivers. Um, okay, a guy who I uh, I went a little bit bolder with uh, with my with my second guy who I think it's time to move on from. Uh, but this is it's a narrative we've seen before, and that's and that's Joe Mixon not really getting off to the best start uh, in in an NFL season. He's seeing the carries. He had 19 in week one, 16 in week two, 17 in week three, but he's not doing much with them. 3.2 yards per carry. The thing that is most concerning is that he seems to have no passing game role. And Giovanni Bernard is like, they're confident. Zach Taylor is, I guess, in love with the idea of running out the mustache as their primary pass catching back. Um, And so for a team that's likely to play from behind in most of their games or just like be in a game script that is like, pass to stay in it it's not what you really want to see and we saw this against the Browns the Bengals were down big against the Browns and we saw basically a 50-50 snap split between Giovanni Bernard and Joe Mixon which when you're spending when you spent a really high pick on Joe Mixon to get him that's not what you want to see he's not a bad running back um, and there's still time that he might turn it around this and this year but for me personally, that's what I would bank on in order to sell him. Sell his upside and get back a player who maybe doesn't have the same ceiling that Joe Mixon could have in 2020, but would give me more reliable production right now uh, and has a more reliable floor. So that's, I guess that's where I would be right now. If I, if I spent a high pick to get Joe Mixon, I would be looking to try to get something back now and be able to sell him on his upside. Because if he has another kind of like three to four weeks of dud performances. I don't really know what you're going to get back for him. On a personal note in a redraft league, I was debating in a flex spot, putting Corey Davis or Antonio Gibson in there. um, When I had Joe Mixon as a starting running back, when the real option should have been just to put Antonio Gibson as the starting RB and put Corey Davis in the slot or in the flex and just leave Mixon on the bench because he's been a single digit boy for the past three days. Or three weeks. Sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't understand what uh, what the deal is with this offense. Really, seventeen carries for forty nine yards is like you, you really got to actually try to do that. Um, he's basically he's doing the three targets per game thing, and that's not at all what we what we were promised. And it's kind of aggravating given that Burrow is actually playing really well. You know, like running backs with good quarterbacks mm-hmm. usually prosper. Um, and I guess it's just a shame as far as what to do with them in the future. I think your biggest decision is going to be whether or not to start him this week against Jacksonville and, uh, theoretically get a really big game. I, I, I think the, perhaps the prudent move is to roll with him, 
uh, again this week just because it is Jacksonville. Uh, but the problem is in week five, he faces Baltimore and then Indianapolis after that. And those are two really difficult defenses. Well, he's got to so, face Baltimore twice and Pittsburgh twice. Like the a- AFC North is not a team that, you know, it's not a division that you want to go up against multiple times. It's, it's a good point. He, he does get the, the Baltimore Ravens uh, their second time in week 17, but, but your, okay. your point stands. I mean, it's, it's Baltimore and Indy within the space of two weeks and then Tennessee, which eh, actually you can run in Tennessee, but then it's a buy in, uh, in week nine and then Pittsburgh. So it's you, like these next few weeks, you're going to get Jack- Jacksonville in week seven, and then you'll get seven and eight with Cleveland and Tennessee and then it's not until, you know, week 11, you're facing Washington. Now it gets real soft for uh, a few games. And then of course it's, it's Pittsburgh and 15, but anyway, I think that selling high after Jacksonville is, is probably the, the best move, but with him, he, we've seen this more than once now where the team just says like, all right, screw it. He's the focal point. And then he just destroys teams. So I don't know. I think that if, uh, if you were a team who somehow got him at a, a good value, maybe what you do is you hold on to him because you're presumably doing well, if that's the case, if you're banking on him as your RB1. If you can sell high after Jacksonville, it's probably best to do it. Yeah. Nick, who's a, who's a guy that you're confident in, uh, in letting go right now? Wrap us up. Yes, sir. Uh, Evan Ingram. <sighs> So for, for a litany it of pains reasons, me, it pains me that he's on this list. Yeah. And you know, and it's not injury related. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, it. One of the fears was, you know, starting the season, Slayton and, and Tate and Shepard, they're all healthy. What does that mean for Ingram? Well, he's probably the most talented receiver, so it, it shouldn't have meant anything. And now that, that strong, they're Shepard's all injured. Out, so it's like, what are we doing here? It, I, it, uh, it's frustrating. The workload is there, you know, 20, 20 targets total. But I think that this is Jason Garrett. Garrett is really fucking bad. And he, you know, like a week or two ago, he was like in a press conference. It was, it was after, I mean, they've lost every game. So, you know, it's after a loss and he's doubling down on what he's done. And he's saying like, yeah, uh, uh, Ingram needs to, participate in all facets of the game same base saying he needs to be able to block it's like all right pete carroll fuck yourself like did you just if, if he's a one-dimensional use, tight use end, players this is the thing that i never understand this is and this is like bill belichick gets a lot of credit for this and it exactly. always makes it always makes me it makes me laugh anytime players say it because it's so obvious it's like bill belichick just plays to his player strengths he knows what their strengths are and he plays to them it's like Shouldn't every coach be doing this? Like, why Why wouldn't every coach just be like, I'm going to play to my player's strength? And yes, Evan Ingram is basically a big slot receiver. He's not a blocking tight end. He's not an inline tight end. Play him in the slot. Just set him on, you know, slants. No one can, a corner's not going to be able to cover him. A linebacker's not going to be able to keep up with him. Why are, Why is that just not your offense? Like the fact and that you, was, you're like forcing him into this, the circle into the square hole. It's like, what are we doing here? This isn't hard. He doesn't, he doesn't know what to do. He, this is an old boys club. You, you get to say you run my scheme and it's your fault. It's not my fault. If we fail as a team, it's your fault because you can't play my scheme. And it's, it's just a, a built-in excuse. He had Jason Witten, who was a terrific two-way tight end. And he, that, that bail him out for years. And now he's here and, and he 
yeah, it's it's a real shame. And to your point about Belichick, I I think what's what's awfully interesting is that it does. I don't think it just extends to the players as far as what he uh, he he he, he, he has some quote that's like it is the coach's responsibility to never ask a player to do something that he can't do. And I think that that is also why we see Patriots coaches struggle so much when they go off on their own, because he identifies this is what this, this coach does well. And it's all I'm going to ask him to do. It's a reason that Matt Patricia wasn't yeah. their offensive coordinator, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense about Jason Garrett, just trying to, like force this Jason Witten type mold on Evan Ingram when Evan Ingram is like the exact opposite type of tight end that Jason Witten is, was Um, it's yeah, it's a damn shame because Evan Ingram should be, he's just a big like target who can run and who can bully smaller defenders. Like he should just be in the slot, like almost on every single play. Uh, you shouldn't be an inline blocker for your running game that is now extinct without Saquon Barkley. So, like, don't even try it. Yeah, it's it is in and I I have long been on the Evan Ingram hype train. I I love it. Like, I love him as a player, and I just feel like he's the most talented pass catcher that the the Giants have. And all the Giants pass catchers are injured and it's like, this should be Evan Ingram's time to shine. Like this should be his rookie season all over again. And yet it's not. So it's really, really frustrating to see. Um, Before we go, I do want to just throw one, one final kind of like sell high question out to you guys, because I did a little, I did a little Nick Bodiford here looking at some, uh, some target share percentages. You know how I do. I like to nerd out sometimes. Uh, Michael Gallup. He was in our Dunzo list. He had a big week three against Seattle. But what scares me is he's still only seeing 10% of the target share in Dallas. And I just don't think that, like, with C.D. Lamb there, is he ever going to out-target C.D. Lamb? Is he going to always be third, even sometimes fourth fiddle to Zeke in terms of target share there? And he's coming off of such a huge game that, like, is, is now a good time to sell high on Michael Gallup? Is this the best Michael Gallup, best Michael Gallup game we're going to get this year? This is a really difficult question to answer because I was extremely high on him uh, in the previous. I loved process. him. He seemed like the sneaky ad, like the no hyped ad that like all the stats were basically like Michael Gabb's performance in 2019 was like incredible. And he's going to light the world on fire in 2020. And that hasn't clicked yet. So to your point about him seeing 10% target market share. Yeah. And he saw five and five in weeks one and two, and then he got nine last week. That's probably somewhat of a uh, game script product. Uh, Cleveland, maybe we see that there. New York Giants, we won't. We will against Arizona. He's going to be usable, but I do think that he might just be entering more of um, what I was talking about earlier, where he's a deep threat who may be game script dependent, and that's how you have to start him. Uh, I would just, if, if you're a Gallup owner, I would spend a lot of time just studying the schedule and trying to determine if basically what, what kind of games they're going to be in. And if there's, you know, if they're going to half of their games, they're going to be in, in shootouts. Then I think it's worth keeping him. If you can sell high on him, meaning like you can sell him after racking up his 20 plus half point PPR total this week, if you can sell him like for that value, then yeah. I mean, in, in most cases for a non number one wide receiver, 
if you can do that, then, then you should absolutely do it. I do think that he did enough though to uh, get off the the Dunzo list. Uh, he looked really good. Yeah, he uh, he's always, he's looked good. It's just a matter of whether or not he's just getting the work to to reliably produce. Yeah, who's Cedric Wilson and why is he catching <laughs> passes? Um, why did he I, ruin everything? <laughs> Uh, yeah, CD Lamb definitely looks like he's just going to be a factor in the offense because they're using him to like rush the ball and he's getting like five or six targets a game. But I th- believe it was against the Rams in week one, or maybe it was against the Falcons last week, where Michael Gallup was like one pretty bad pass That's interference true. call away from being like over 100 yards for that game. So I think he's still like has an opportunity to still be that guy who's just bringing in a hundred yards a game. Um, he might not be a full on PPR monster, but he can make up for that by uh, scoring touchdowns and grabbing some yards yeah. for you. Yeah. To that point, it was actually both weeks. He had uh, both weeks one and week two that he had big gains taken away. So yeah. All right. Stop All right. pushing Michael. Yeah. Also quickly, um, Chris Collinsworth, Sunday night football, I know, I think he eventually corrected himself, but let's calm down on that whole push off that uh, Mercedes Lewis had push off. I put that in air quotes. It was not a push off. Mercedes Lewis did not extend the arm. Just saying. I got you, Jordan. Becca was furious. <laughs> Be- Becca had choice hey, you know words what? for Chris Collinsworth. <laughs> the, the defender gave up on the play, basically. Yeah. He, he was trying to draw the pass interference call. Yeah. In my Get opinion. Get out of here. Get out of here. All right. Well, there you go. That's what we got for you this week. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the Fake Teams podcast wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. We are there. That is how you'll not only get us, but also our fantasy baseball and basketball podcasts. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at RB1 Podcast. You can follow myself at Pete M. Rogers. Follow Jordan at Jordan underscore Smith 27 and Nick at Ginger underscore underscore Nick without a K. We will be back at you Thursday with our week four starts and sits. Until then, peace.